When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. My friend Josh, here with me again. Josh, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Clint. It's great, great to join you again. Appreciate having you. Appreciate you taking the time. And we've got a topic uh, that we've been working on for a while here. We've probably mentioned this a couple times during the offseason, but now it's August. We're actually recording this on August 16th, which I like to like to tell people so they know because this may not get out there for a few days. But we want to talk about the top remaining free agents and particularly at some of the positions of need for the Ravens. I think we can identify a few of those. And uh, uh, what? let's start with that. What positions do you think the Ravens really need to be cognizant about need still? Um, for me, like this, the top two would be tight end, specifically number three tight end, and uh, offensive tackle. You know, we can get a guy who's like a swing tackle, has some experience at either right or left, or left tackle or both, preferably. Right. I, I, how do you feel about needing a left tackle specifically? Because that seems to be a place where the Ravens do not have a backup at all. I mean, I mean. That's, our, that's arguably the second most important position on on offense aside from quarterback. And it's, it's awesome that they have Ronnie Stanley there uh, protecting Lamar's blind side and, you know, paving the way in the run game on the left side. But like I say, if he catches, you know, God forbid, if he catches COVID or, you know, goes down or has to miss any time with, a, with an injury, I mean, re- there's really nobody there to kind of step into that. I mean, I guess you could slide Orlando over to left tackle, but he hasn't played that since, since college. And it's not really his natural position at this level. Yeah, they, a lot of guys have played left tackle in college for the Ravens right now. They have at least five guys, maybe six, on their roster who were left tackles in college. So it's it's not like they don't have guys with college experience there. It's a much different end at the pro game. And I'm really looking for guys who had the feet and the length to play NFL left tackle. There's two guys the Ravens have lost over the last couple of years that, boy, I say, wow, those were actually pretty significant losses. And the first is Jermaine Illuminor because – 
he looked really good in one game against the Steelers at left tackle. And I, I thought that was a significant loss to the Patriots. And the other is Gregory Sinat, who was obviously a developmental pick, but a sixth round guy who had the feet and had the length to play the position. Yeah, I really feel like the loss of Sonata, I believe he was signed off or off the practice squad by the Chiefs. I, th- I really think the Ravens were kind of taking their time with him and, and developing him and bringing him along. I really think he was like the perfect backup left tackle for the Ravens for the, the way that they like to play, play their offense. And it's losing him, I'm not sure if he's still with the Chiefs or not, but like I said, losing him was, was, a, was a huge loss. It's because I think he was developing really well in the – then the time that I saw him in the preseason, he looked really good, real smooth. And like you said, he has great length. Yeah. The, the Ravens uh, tackles and guards last preseason did not do themselves a lot of favors because they had a bunch of holding calls. But I just look at something today I can't help but bring up is that the Ravens have a remarkable record. And I think this a lot of this is attributable to Dallas Sandras in having holding calls and then learning from that how not to hold. Making good and, and let me give you some stats from the last couple of years. Ryan Jensen in 2017 had three holding calls in the opener and did not have another holding call the rest of the season. Last year, Ronnie Stanley had two holding calls in the opener, did not have another holding call the rest of the season. Orlando Brown had two holding calls both in week two, did not have a holding call the rest of the season. Bozeman had his only holding call in week six, did not have a holding call the rest of the season. And McCary, who came in and had two holding calls in his first game replacing uh, Skura at center in L.A., just a half game, he had two holding calls against a very short-arm defensive tackle, Gaines, and he had only one holding call the remainder of the year. I mean, it's a great year for not having holding calls for the Ravens in general, but I thought that the, the trend of that tells me they can fix holding calls uh, in, in some of their offensive linemen. And so some of the things I saw in preseason, uh, you know, I'd be encouraged that they'd be able to fix if I saw it again in this preseason. That is not happening. Yeah, it is really unfortunate. And I really think the preseason is the best time to develop young offensive linemen. You know, when you when you have guys that kind of need some of that, they aren't going to get, you know, like, you know, live action reps in the regular season. I mean, unless the Ravens are up big in a lot of games this year, which hopefully they are. But, you know, given uncertainty this offseason, you know, who knows? They might they might not be they might be in a few more barn burners this year. But like I said, not having that preseason really kind of takes away from that evaluation process and that developmental process of young offensive linemen. So even if they had, you know, plenty to spare or to learn from a guy like Sonat, who really could have used another year of refinement, um, they're not going to have that this year. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, unfortunate that Gregory Sinat's not the guy. Now, let's talk about the guys out there who might be the guy uh, that are out there in free agency. So you and I have each identified a set of overlapping offensive tackles we'd, we'd like to consider. Uh, let's just na- name one at a time here. And I'll, you name one, I'll name one. We'll talk about each one and, and go. But you, you go first. Okay, uh, the first guy, the one I, I had mentioned that you said you didn't have in your list at first, what was a uh, Cordy Glenn, the former left tackle of the Cincinnati Bengals, and before that the Buffalo Bills. Um, he started off his career real strong, um, kind of tailed off there late, like like we mentioned in, before. He's been kind of stealing money. He was kind of stealing money for the Bengals the last two seasons, uh, but he did garner a first round pick when the Bills did trade him to the Bengals prior to the 2018 season. And um, like I said, he's been a he's been a solid left tackle over 95. 95 exactly career starts at left tackle for both organizations. And I think he'd be a solid backup for Ronnie Stanley. Yeah. You know, all of these guys have warts. Okay. So there's nobody out there on the free agent market who is really a premier left tackle you'd like to bring in. So it's really kind of picking from the best of the scrap heap at this point. We know what, how tough it's been to find left tackles these last few years, but Glenn is actually still a pretty good pass blocker. And admittedly, in these last two years for Cincinnati, he's really only played one complete season. And you mentioned the fact that not only did he steal money, he stole a big draft pick, a number one draft pick from Cincinnati, which we probably ought to be happy from as AFC North fans. (laughs) It was was draft capital leaving the division. Um, Does not have, you know, good run blocking skills or good run blocking results in particularly these last few years. I'm not completely willing to sh- shuffle that all off on who was playing next to him in Cincinnati, but that might have been part of it. 
Yeah, I mean, their offensive line really the past two seasons has have has really been bad in, in Cincinnati. I mean, I'm not complaining. Like I said, as a Ravens fan, it's been nice to see our guys kind of eat when Andy Dalton hasn't gotten the ball out in like 2.5 seconds. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I do believe that um, to Cordy Glenn, he may have been a victim of circumstance, like, you know, his slippage in, in his in his production or his performance. But like I said, sometimes, uh, especially with offensive line, you know, the sum of your parts isn't as good as the individuals. Yeah, very true. So so he could come to Baltimore, better system, better coaching, better everything around him, and and probably most importantly, Lamar Jackson. And he could be made better just by the limitations Lamar Jackson puts on opposing defenses. And when you come down to it, Glenn will be 31 in September, on September 18th. He is a left tackle who played left tackle last year, and a lot of the guys we're talking about didn't haven't played left tackle recently. But they're still the left tackle prospect that's out there on the market. So Glenn, in, a, in some sense, is the least warty of all of these options. Yeah, the fact that he played his whole career at one position and hasn't kind of bounced around like some of the other guys we're about to get into uh, really bodes well for his chances of you know coming in and being that solid backup for a guy like Ronnie Stanley. All right. Well, great. Who, who would be the second guy on your list? You go ahead and name I got uh, Jared Valdir. Um, like I said, we you know, Keith, another guy who's had sense of experience. 88 career starts at left tackle, 25 uh, career starts at right tackle. The last 25 have come in the past the past three seasons. He only played appeared in two games for the Packers last year, uh, zero starts. But the two years prior to that, with the Cardinals and with the Lions, he played 25 games at right tackle. So having a guy who can come in and kind of fill in that James Hurst role, that swing tackle that can you know back up both. Uh, Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown would be a good thing. But like I said, those 88 career starts at left tackle uh, bodes well for his chances. I, the thing that concerns me at Valdir, obviously he's an enormous monolith of a man at 6'8", 321. Reminds me in a lot of ways, in, in, as a side and shape player, as a slightly leaner Bryant McKinney. But unfortunately, he's not a particularly quick guy. Uh, and he's, he's definitely a guy who was moved to le- left tackle for cause in terms of what he was bringing as a as a uh, as a player, probably still a slightly better pass blocker than he is a run blocker. Although I'm not saying he's great at either. But last played uh, left tackle in 2017 uh, at the end of the season when he's forced uh, forced there. So uh, uh, it's, am I really excited about him playing left tackle to close out the year at Arizona in 2017? Well, no, not really, because I know who was there to start 2017 or for other times in 2017. And basically the choice was made that Valdir was a worse choice than Will Holden at left tackle, who is now also on the Ravens roster and listed at guard. Yeah, the, yeah, most definitely. I just, I just, like I said, like, like you said, you know, to kind of start off this pod was just that this kind of like the best of what's left, which isn't all that great. And... I probably would put him as third on my list. The guy I would have as the number two guy I'd want, even with the age considerations, is Donald Penn, who at least played the full season at left tackle in 2019. Uh, still does not look like a terrible pass blocker to me. I think that that the Ravens could get by with it. And more than that, I think that uh, uh, you know with, with Lamar Jackson, that he'd be better uh, as a pass blocker than he probably was with Washington last year. Yeah, and the only thing that concerns me with Donald Penn, you know, it's not even the age, it's the fact that, you know, he spent so much time as a starter. I don't know if he'd be willing to come in and accept a backup role. He seems like the kind of guy that would kind of wait around, wait for somebody to get hurt either in training camp or during the season and then sign on, you know, kind of be the guy. But I'm not sure if he's willing to accept that, you know, openly come in and be like, okay, I'm okay with being the backup. But, you know, if he's in for ring chasing, you know, he has a good chance to, be, you know, to do that with the Ravens this year. You know, that's really the issue. Is is does this guy want a ring or not? Because he's had two consecutive years, which which he's clearly shown he's probably done. I mean, a lot of ways he's very similar to Andre Smith. Uh, hasn't played a lot of total snaps the last two years combined, only about a, slightly over a thousand snaps, and hasn't really played that well the last couple of years. He he, he was okay for Washington last year, but he certainly wasn't great anymore. So. Yeah, maybe he, he has an opportunity coming to him like this. But I think if you're Donald Penn, you got to say, hey, this probably is my last chance. And this is a crap year with COVID being here to, for it to be my last chance. But this is all I got. And if I were him, you know, he's made a lot of money playing this game. I would think this would be 
a time to play in Baltimore. You know, he might also want to go back to Tampa. I mean, he may have really loved it there. And, and I, I, it wouldn't shock me if that were a place he'd want to sign either. Um, yeah, if, if, if they wanted him, you know, that they haven't, haven't heard any indications of him, of him wanting to go there. I know it wasn't, it wasn't a very ceremonious end to his tenure in Tampa, you know, before he went, before we went over to Oakland, oh, I guess now they're Las Vegas, but, um, I'm, yeah, I, I feel like if, if they were kicking the tires on the reunion with Tampa, he kind of would have been, I would have heard something in the rumor mill by now, but I think he's like, like I said before, I think he's one of those guys kind of waiting around for something to happen to somebody else for him to get a job and, that's fair enough. There isn't going to be any money for a player like Donald Penn. I just I just want to make that clearly known right here at the start. I mean, everybody is acutely aware now of the extreme cap constraints for next year. So everybody's going to be looking to avoid spending any of the additional precious save cap they have because those dollars, if pushed forward into 2021, are worth so much more. There's going to be a lot of players released, a lot of need to, for teams to release their own players and then try and re-sign them. Yeah, and it's really going to hurt the, the mid-tier uh, veteran market, or not just market, but players. You know, players on teams, guys who were on like like guys like Brandon Carr last year, who were on you know an, oh, option, yeah. an option deal. You know, those kind of guys are going to be hard to find jobs. You know, for for at least market value or even below that. You know, those kind of mid-tier veterans are are going to are going to um, really feel the effect of this reduction in salary cap this uh, this next season. Yeah, and there's so many there's so many teams that won't have any money to spend. I, I, I saw an interesting post talking about what the Philadelphia Eagles, how they can possibly even get under the cap next year if it were at 198 or 200 million. I forget what the number was. Very interesting discussion back and forth about who they have to cut to do that because they're way over the cap by like 50 million. So they have to make a ton of cuts, and it's very difficult to do. And you know that basically that's going to reduce the field of bidders. For next year. So instead of having, you know, 24 teams, maybe you have 16 teams who actually have any money to spend. And then you have a few of those teams who really, you know, are scrambling to to put together their their own rosters so they can only sign at a few positions. So then you come down to a few teams who, who are in relatively decent cap shape. Unfortunately, the Ravens, I think, are in that group um, that that are have a little bit more freedom to spend have a little bit more freedom to kind of pick and choose from the pile of, of players available and, and, uh, and should be in pretty good shape. I, I really like the Ravens chances in 2021 with the cap situation. If it's, if they play it as they appear to be playing it now more, even than I like it, I like the chances this year. I I'm, I'm definitely agree with you. I think the the cool thing for the Ravens is that they have so many guys on rookie contracts, and that's really kind of been their saving grace. You know, you know, in this in this new regime with Eric DaCosta taking over, and I don't even view it as a new regime. It's kind of an extension of the previous regime, just because him and Ozzy were so tight at the hip for so long. And I, I really think he's he's he, he's taken a lot of those a lot of his wis that wisdom and kind of applied it to his to, to his um his regime that he's in now, and that you know um that they're gonna that they're going to be able to kind of reload through the draft and and with, while still acquiring like you know veterans like Calais Campbell and Derek Wolf on manageable deals and extending those guys so they're not carrying those big cap numbers. Right, and I I, I want to make this point. I think this is a I I think this is one of the clear distinctions between Ozzy and Eric is that I think that Ozzy was more willing to ride the line of the cap more closely than what Eric has done. Eric's got them out of their bad contracts. And Flacco was obviously the biggest one and the biggest, you know, kind of pig in the python, as, they, as they'd say, for financial things, where this guy is moving through and, and they just had to get rid of him in order to free up a lot of cap money. And that was wonderful. And then, lo and behold, they got the rookie quarterback they really needed who was a superstar. And every team is going to do well under those cases. But it's not just that. It's the structure of these contracts that have come on. It's the great structure to um, the, the Thomas contract appears to be manageable in terms of year three if they decide they have to cut him after year two. They'll have about $6 million in cap saving. It's the fact that Peters has a very linear contract that really they can cut him and not take a big cap cap hit. You know, it's Mark Ingram and, and the ability to, to – uh, cut him after two years, and the fact that he was a good two-year signing that really worked out—that's that's excellent. I mean, they have a lot of flexibility in terms of cap, and most of it will support what they need to do, which is to move money from defense to offense in the in the coming years. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with you. A guy who I like listen to is Michael Lombardi on the GM Shuffle. I don't know if you listen to his podcast, but he gets into a lot of the contract talk. And that's exactly what you're talking about, what Eric is doing. It's kind of like you're structuring those deals now on paper. It made read, you know, four years, 55 million, but really it's just a two year contract with the last two years of team options, whereas they can move on from the guy and, and not, not incur any dead money. Because there are so many times where Ozzy would, you know, would, lo- would kind of load up a contract for a guy. Like with Ray Rice, unfortunately, you know, we all know what happened at the end of his career, but that his dead cap charges were on. I think they just came off the books like what a couple of years ago is that because, you know, the way the, the deal was structured, it was that, you know, instead of being a short, a really on paper, on short term, short term deal, it ended up being a long term deal to kind of hurt the Ravens in the long run. Yeah, it should come off two years, but it should dead money should be gone by two years after the player's gone. So Rice's last year was 2013 with the Ravens, right? Mm, uh, yeah, I, I think. So it would have been half after 15, but it did. I mean, it lingers and it sucks. The same thing was true of Flacco's dead money as well, that it that it lingered when they when they had to trade him. And there's they had, I think, 16 million they spread over two years with Flacco. So they, they uh, you know, certainly have some pain to get through with that. But then, hey, you've got a great young quarterback and, and incredible savings for several years, not to mention the fact that you got the MVP of the league out of it. So uh, a pretty good deal. Yeah, another team that's going to be in, in, cap, in cap hell along with the Eagles, without was mentioned, was the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, oh yeah, no, very yeah, excited, <laughs> very excited about that. Um, and and, and it's, they they find themselves in the, kind of the opposite shoes of the Ravens right now, whereas the Ravens are benefiting from the Mars rookie contract. They still have the. I don't want to say inflated because he's not, you know, really getting paid on par with a guy like Mahomes or some of the other guys that are coming down the pipeline. But but Ben Roethlisberger is, is eating up a chunk of their cap, and that's really gonna the fact that they don't have a rookie quarterback or your guy playing on a rookie deal is really gonna handicap them here going forward in the next few years. Yeah, I mean they didn't have a first round draft pick this year, and and most Pittsburgh Steelers fans where they stay there, they still are happy that they traded it for Minka, who's a who's a very fine looking player that they'll have for four seasons for that first round pick, and then probably will sign him long term. But they don't have that quarterback. They don't have the quarterback in waiting, and they didn't have the pick to make the quarter to take the quarterback in waiting this year, which might or might not have worked out. But anyway, they didn't have the pick to make it. Um, you know, they could try and get in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes for next year when they do have a first round pick again. Uh, but it's it's a just a, it's <laughs> having a thirty eight million dollar quarterback coming off injury is not where you want to be when you otherwise have a very talented defensive roster like this, like the Steelers do. Yeah, um, unless they, unless they totally bomb this year, I don't think they'll have a chance to Trevor Lawrence because I know he's going number one for sure. But if they have a chance to get in possibly in a Justin Fields sweepstakes, you know, probably somewhere in the late in the in the in, you know bottom of the uh, of the top ten, you know, if they can sneak up like they did with Devin Bush you know, a couple of years ago when they traded to number ten overall to pick pick him up. If they are say picking somewhere in the late teens or the twenties, they could trade up possibly to the back half of the top ten or even the middle of the first round get a guy Justin Fields. I mean, I don't want to pick a Justin Fields. Because I think the guy's a baller, but you know, if they were to try to, you know, get that next quarterback in the in the in the building, they'd need to do it here sometime pretty soon. All right. Let's go back to the topic at hand, which is the free agents available that can help the Ravens. Let's continue with the offensive tackles. Um, how about I mean you really get down to some lower level talent once we talk about the guys we have, but a guy was on my list, and I think not on yours, Kyle Long, uh, who played a fair amount of right tackle. And I have to look back to see if the guy's ever played left tackle, but he's played some right tackle if you go back a few years and is a guy that I think uh, might be a guy the Ravens would consider as a backup. Definitely listed as guard, by, by the way, right now. Yeah, yeah. So on, yeah, on Pro Football Reference, I thought that he played right tackle one year for the Bears. But he's definitely a guy who has a skill set to translate to both right or or um or right tackle or right guard. So and and he has that kind of nasty streak that you'd like to see out of out of, out of offensive linemen that the Ravens would you know they would like to have on their team and a you know, nice veteran guy in the locker room to go to go along with some of those other guys and possibly even compete at right guard if they don't like the um if they don't like the guys that they have in house right now, which is currently a stacked room. Yeah, it's it is a. He's he'd be one of the only right guards they'd have with like medium arm length. So they've got Fluker, who has freakishly long arms, over 30, 36 and three quarters, some fifth longest in combine history. Anyway, I know that. And then they have um, uh, Tyree Phillips, who's over 35 inches. And they have two guys in the middle, Ben Powers, who's 33 and change and long, despite the fact that he's over six, six is a 33 and change inch guy, inch guy, too. Now, at tackle, that's a little short. And I can I can understand why he got moved because I think the the discussion really begins at 34 inches in in terms of adequate arm length at 
right or left tackle specifically. Uh, but if but if you've got a little bit shorter arms, you can still be a perfectly effective guard. And in fact, I think at at, at 33 and change, you're still long enough to deal with the uh, first contact uh, needs you have to pivot on the right side of a right-handed running game. And that's what the Ravens really need to find the guy who can do that this year. I think Fluker is getting the first chance because he's certainly got the bulk and he's also got the length to try and to try and be that. First contact guy who can who can force his way to turn his hips through that hole and lead the running back. Those those blocks have time to develop with the mesh point, and it's just something that that uh, they need to find the guy who can do that. Long might be that guy. Oh yeah, definitely agree with you with all the with all the points you just made. Um, like an easy guy with extensive starting experience. Um, I think Catherine them the that amount of career starts that he has. I had it pulled up here, but um, he's a, like said, former first round pick. Um, extensive starting experience, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame genes. You know, with the with with his father Howie. So, you never know. Yeah. Okay. So, do you have anybody else at left tackle we want to consider or at, at offensive tackle at all? Um, there was uh, one more, a uh, couple, two more guys. The Marshall Newhouse. Career career backup started several games at at both at, both at guard and at tackle for various teams and then Jordan Mills a career backup at um, at the right right tackle wasn't really a backup I think he's like 85 career starts um those are two guys that you know uh, you know that would be solid backups for uh, you know Orlando Brown on the right side right so Newhouse was I think Newhouse played some left tackle last year for New England if I recall let me look just look yeah he did he played left tackle 15 games nine started. Listed as left tackle as position. Obviously, played left tackle with Green Bay early in his career, uh, back when he was originally drafted. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, he's a. He, I don't think I don't think there's a lot there at this point. I think he he would largely disappoint the Ravens in terms of of what he would do. But this may be another case where the fact that the Ravens have Lamar Jackson would improve what he could do. And it may be that either he could play right tackle or Orlando Brown, who seems to be a little leaner this camp, could move to left tackle and do some of the things effectively as a pass blocker that we would not normally expect of him. I, I, I'll leave it at that and let you respond to it before I make my next point. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I do think that like a guy like Marshall Newhouse would be better suited on the right side. It's because I've seen him kind of get really taken advantage of on the blind side. And I just wouldn't really trust him, you know, protecting the Marsh blind side on the left side. So like like, like you said, if, if they if, in a case that Ronnie would have to go down and they did bring in a guy like Marshall Newhouse, you know, he'd be a perfect fit for that right spot or at least spot duty at right tackle while while uh, Ronnie was rehabbing and Orlando would be at, at left. Yeah, it's this is a discussion we really have to have because Ronnie has missed time each season. Uh, he hasn't played a full season yet. He's he seems to miss one or two games every year, and, and the, I don't want to put him down because the guy is a freaking warrior. He left the same game three times at in one game this this last that couple ankle of years. Injury. Yeah, yeah. The, the ankle injury. Been, been an absolute warrior in terms of getting back out on the field and playing whenever he can. But you know, it's he's a guy who seems to have consistent some consistent nagging uh, injury issues, and I don't want to you know set him with that or tag him with that for the rest of his life or the rest of his career. But the Ravens just need to make plans that are appropriate given you know what's what's happened so far. Um, yeah, and you know some of it I think can be attributed to to um to his past that sometimes because you know a lot of times when you see him when when he gets an ankle injury it's usually because he's getting rolled up on and usually it's in, it's in pass protection it's, it's hardly ever it's hardly ever when he's that downfield run blocking because he's usually the guy leading the charge on yes. some of those on some of those on some of those uh, outside outside runs but usually it's it's, it's always it always happens when he's when he's in in his pass set and maybe he can just find a way or maybe he can get coached up with a way where he can kind of like let his body kind of like go limp when he feels any kind of pressure on the on that on the, on the back of his leg you know i, I know uh, i played a little offensive line in high school and that's what our what our coaches always told us you know if, and whenever you feel that pressure on the back of your leg just go limp it's just because you never know if, if somebody's body could be going one way yours is going the other and you could end up being out for some time yeah that's that's a uh yeah i've never heard that that's an interesting learned skill there but that's that's an interesting uh you know path you're taking us down there uh one of the things about about stanley that may make him injury prone to corroborate that is the fact that i think he highly is very good at getting his feet in position so he keeps his body between the the pass rusher and lamar 
And in order to do that, you often give ground towards the quarterback. But that's been an effective way for him to do it. And it's one of the reasons why PFF and I differ on pressure totals for uh, for Ronnie Stanley. They have a very you know historically low pressure totals and sacks and this and that. And he's been great. Don't get me wrong. I I, I think he's fine left tackle had one of the really fine years in Ravens history at left tackle for a team that's had a Hall of Fame left tackle. And, you know, is not there's nothing I would point to. um that's particularly negative, but he does give ground in the pocket. And he does imperil the cone on a higher number of pass plays than I think PFF says he does. And I think that's by design is that they really want to keep Lamar, keep other defenders from getting their hands on Lamar. Now, don't get me wrong. All, all left tackles want to do that. But it's in terms of what do you sacrifice in order to make that happen? And the thing he sacrifices is giving ground backwards in the pocket towards that cone. And I think that that's, some, that's something I've seen. Lamar's very good at feeling that pressure and moving away from it or twisting around it, as we've seen sometimes. Oftentimes, a pressure from that left side has led to a run left, you know, a quick spin move out and a mm-hmm. run left. You've seen that against Arizona, for example. Yep. Uh, but, but I just want to make that point, is that, is that if you're really looking at who Ronnie Stanley is as a pass blocker, he's a guy who's sacrificing a little distance to the quarterback in order to keep himself between himself and the defender. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's worked well so far. I gave up zero sacks last season. Um, <laughs> not, I think some of that is attributed to Lamar's ability to escape pressure. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dogging not Ronnie Stanley's pass blocking ability in whatsoever. You know, he's one of the best pass blockers in the league. But on, this, on the same token, like as, as you were saying, he does sacrifice that some of the that distance sometimes, and the fact that Lamar's ability to kind of make plays on his own or you know elude pressure and kind of you know use his legs and his dual that dual ability to make some things happen. You know, off script kind of does make the I don't I don't want to I don't want to say like over exaggerate. You know his his um his pass blocking ability, but you know kind of just mass mass some of it sometimes. All right, fair enough. I was going to bring this up, but it's the file is slow to come up here. But I do have um for what it's worth, I since I give out partial sacks and PFF does not. PFF always ends up tweeting incessantly about the zero sack year that. Brown, Orlando Brown had in 2018 and that Ronnie Stanley had in 2019. And I've got numbers that are positive. I had three, you know, three sacks for Orlando Brown, which, by the way, excellent rookie year. But it was parts of seven different events. It was five one third uh, uh, charges and two two thirds charges, both in the playoff game against the Chargers uh, that made up that total. So anyway, I, I just want to point out there's a very big difference in the way we do it. And PFF will generally understate total sacks charged to the offensive line while overstate total pressures awarded to the defenders on the same plays. I feel you. I feel you. Uh, but I just, I just, I just, I just like, I just like saying that to people sometimes just like, Oh yeah, you know, zero sacks. <laughs> <laughs> PFF does too. <laughs> so, all right, well, fair enough. Uh, we'll move on with this. So you mentioned Jordan Mills, obviously we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel when we're getting to him in terms of an available tackle. I don't think we need to say too much about him. Played with Miami a little bit and uh, I don't even know where he where did he finish the year? Did he finish the year with Miami last year and now he's a free agent? Um, let me see. Um, it says right here. No, I actually finished the year with Arizona. Started two games for the Cardinals last year. Played in right. three, um, started two. All right. Very good. Okay, so let's talk about other positions. Now, tight end is a, is a place where the Ravens have talked about bringing in a veteran Um I'm not real crazy about any of the names out there and available, but, but, but take us through who you would have as your top guy uh, among the guys they could consider. Um, I know I've already talked extensively on this on this podcast about my uh, my affinity for Delaney Walker, and I know you've had you've had other guys on here talk about Delaney Walker, so I'm not I'm not going to talk about him. I want to talk about some guys that we didn't get to or that I did mention last time I was on. Um, and a guy like I can't believe I forgot him, but you know he's been one of my favorite you know kind of limited role tight ends is a guy like Charles Clay. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, veteran, he, I think he last played for Arizona, for Arizona, but he's always been that, you know, he's never really been that, that go-to number one tight end. But for me, he's like the perfect compliment tight end, especially in the passing game. I um, haven't seen as much from him as a blocker, but definitely like, you know, that, as far as that, that backup pass catcher, where Mark Andrews, a guy like Charles Clay would be a perfect number three tight end for the Ravens. 
He's, he's obviously a lot younger than Walker, and that's one of my problems with Walker is that he's old and he's shown very clear decline the last couple of years. Hasn't had, uh, you know, a good yards per target in a while. But Charles Clay last year, you know, now he's 31 and a half years old, which is old, but not too old that he couldn't produce. And he's still been starting games. So he started 10 or more games for the last seven years uh, and, and played in the bulk of them. He's missed some time, too, like a, a, a game here, game there. Not He didn't ever miss half a season during that time, obviously. Mm-hmm. And last year with Arizona, he had 9.9 yards per target. Let's put that number in perspective. I believe there are only four ever seasons. It might be five in Ravens history of 9.9 yards per target or higher by any skill position player wide receiver or tight end. Mark Andrews has the highest ever at 11.04. Mark Andrews dropped to, I think it was 9.7 this last season, but he wasn't as high as 9.9, I can tell you that. And there's only three guys, Jermaine Lewis in 98, I think it was, uh, Todd Heap in 2010, I'm forgetting who the third one was, um, who were in, it might be Derek Alexander, who were between um, 10 and 11 yards per target. So at 9.9 yards per target is really an exceptional season. It was only 24 targets. But I still say that's something. Yeah, um, he hasn't like said he he kind of his production kind of fallen after the last two years. Um, he did have a streak of about like six or seven years where he was co- recording at least five hundred and five hundred uh, five hundred yards receiving. But I don't think the Ravens would need him to do that this year. You know, just kind of playing that number three tight end role and like if he could get anywhere between two hundred to three hundred yards receiving, it's kind of contribute as that you know kind of take some of the uh, onus off of Mark Andrews in the passing game. Just just not just so he can focus on his blocking, but more so just so he won't have as much on his plate and he can be more effective um, down the field. So Clay, as an inline blocker, uh, I don't know that I love him, but I think I I like him better than a lot of the other guys. I've got to always remind myself just how few good inline blockers there are at tight end in the entire NFL. That's the first thing. Second thing is that the Ravens don't really need a pure inline blocker because Boyle really handles most of that role. It'd be nice to have a good backup, but Boyle and Ricard as a motion guy handle a lot of those inside double teams in the run game and, and double teams on the edge, frankly, when that's what you need as an inline blocker. And, and they, the guy the Ravens need is really a guy with the quickness to get to level two and level three to make run blocks. So my question is, is Clay a guy at his age what had decent speed for a tight end at one time that you think still has some of the quickness to get to level two and level three and not be completely outmaneuvered by corners and safeties? Um, I, I think he has a chance, but um, the the reason I had I had two guys on my list would be a younger guy who's kind of an unproven as far as a, as far as a pass catcher, but has the kind of youth on his side, and that's Jeff Hireman, former uh, formerly of the Broncos, and he he's that guy exactly who the, could who could do that role that you're describing, a guy who can kind of get to those second level, second third level run blocks and kind of you know um you know pick up some of those blocks, and you know he he's as youth, he has speed, he has all the athletic ability in the world, it's just injuries and inconsistency has kind of plagued him as a pass catcher. Yeah, he's, I, I saw him, and he was 28 years old for for starters. So, am I really excited about that? I, I'm I'm okay with it. Um, you know, it's interesting that you pegged him with exactly that because my thoughts in looking at what he's done over these four years, and obviously injuries have been involved. He was a third third round selection, you know, a few years back. Was that the other guys the Ravens have? will give you more, and if they give you anything at all, you got to pick them over Hireman. And the, the reason I say that is Hireman's going to come to the Ravens as a one-year player as a free agent. If he pushes somebody out, and the two guys who are who are most obviously might get pushed out are Scarf and Wolf. Okay, so one of those two guys probably loses his job to Hireman. Maybe you can keep the other one of the two others on the practice squad. Maybe you can't because, hey, talent's going to be thin across the entire league. Mm-hmm. As it starts this year, and if COVID adds to injury problems during the year, you can, you can it'd be easy to see how we get very thin at a lot of positions. Yeah, um, yeah, it was just like I said, it's kind of like just because I, I had him on there, not because I had good, I had a lot of faith in the Ravens, you know bringing him in or I think he'd be a realistic candidate but I just I did I did want to include some guys I didn't talk talk about before but like like you know Hireman so he did have he did show potential you know he was pretty good at Ohio State you know decent at decent at least and I think he he could um you know push either either Wolf or Scarf for for um that third position if they don't go with Terrell Adams okay 
It's a it's a very uh, Adams has the same problem as Hireman, by the way. He's got to very significantly outplay those other two guys in order to be the choice. I, in a lot of ways, I think Adams is already probably a camp body. That yeah, he, I remember. Yeah, we we talked about that earlier um, on a previous podcast. Okay. Not everybody's heard that, so it's okay if we repeat a little bit. I just want to want to point that out. But these these two fourth year guys competing against these two first year guys, the Ravens have shown their long term thinking with regard to everything, in particular this off season, it, with all the moves DaCosta has made so far. I think there really hasn't been a short term move among them that you say, boy, they really sacrificed a lot of their future in order to make a short term move here. And I just don't I don't see them. You know, I, I don't even see them bringing in another fourth year guy or a pure free agent to camp. I think if they did, if they did see a guy they liked, it would be likely a guy who was a first year player, didn't make a roster last year, was on a practice squad the entire season, and he still can't catch on this year, maybe at cut time. Maybe that's a guy they bring in that just can't fit in another team's roster. But the Ravens say, hey, you know, we need an we need an extra tight end all the time on this roster. And this guy has a little bit of pass catching ability and we're going to, you know, Lamar throws people open, sorry, creates openings for everybody via play action to be open. And it, we think he's got the quickness to block in level two and three. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm, and honestly, my opinion, I really think if they were to add another guy to the mix, it would be a, a, a guy, like you said, who's not a fourth year guy, but somebody who has a lot more years of experience, like a Clay or a Walker or somebody else who, who happens to be on the market. I mean, a guy like Lance Kendricks is out there, too. I don't know how much he has left in the tank, but um, it's just another another name on the on the free agent market. I, I missed that name. I'm sorry. Who did you say? Oh, uh, Lance Kendricks. OK. Yeah, he's a, he was a, he's he's been a career backup. I think he's never even caught more than 500 yards uh, receiving in his career. But he's been a solid rotational player for a couple teams. I think last played for the Chargers Chargers last year and the Packers before that, and then started his career with the uh, with the Rams. So he's another guy that you know maybe on the radar just as far as you know seasoned vet with some experience with some pass catching ability. That's really like like you mentioned uh, what you alluded to earlier with the um with with with, with the roles that Boyle and Ricard play on as a line blockers. Well, I feel like the Ravens need at the number three tight end is a pass catching threat or a semblance of one. You know, mm-hmm. just so it can take some of the onus off of Andrews. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I want the pass catching threat. I always want that. And I wonder if the Ravens can mold a younger player into being that, given how easy it is to find play action seams with what Jackson does with two hands on the ball. So when Jackson has two hands on the football, so anytime he's either in the mesh point, which they don't usually pass once they get into the mesh points, usually run. They only had, I think, three plays in all of 2019 where they actually passed after Jackson came out of the mesh point. But it's more about when Jackson keeps two hands on the football and fakes or checks to it to a to the mesh point at all. Linebackers just have to freeze and wait. You mentioned the read the additional read steps last time you were on it. That was a great point. You want to talk about that again? Oh yes, yes. So definitely. So for as 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 young as Pee Wee football, when you're when you're when you're teaching when you're teaching a young defender, especially at the linebacker position, how to you know how to defend how to defend a quarterback or running back or really just diagnose the run, you take two initial read steps. So you take it you know one two okay it's a pass or run. And usually the sideline will yell out you know Peter for pass or Rita for run, and then you can but before that even happens, you diagnose yourself. Take two steps, bam bam. Okay, it's a run play or he's keeping it, and then you either play the run or defend the pass. So that's what I alluded to when I was talking about those two reads steps all right so and, and then the other point we were making was that with lamar because you know he keeps two two hands on the football you get to the end of the two read steps and, and still be taking read steps because you haven't figured it out yet yeah what the like with, with lamar the beautiful thing about with him is he makes you take extra read steps so when ordinarily you'd be like okay two like a like bam bam one two okay he either let the go of the ball or the running back has the ball with lamar sometimes you wait so long to pull that ball out of ingram or gus's gut to where you're like you're taking four or five read steps and before you know it the, your your man who you're supposed to be taking in coverage is 10 yards downfield wide open you know like, like you said he creates he creates open targets for guys off the play action is because of the threat of him, you know, holding the ball or pulling the ball from the running back. All right. He's Josh Reed. That's a great explanation of how Lamar Jackson can create additional space for a tight end. It's just too, it's, it's just something that, that a lot of people don't realize about Lamar, I think. And it's a lot of why I think some statistics like completion percentage over expectation, for example, don't really fully value Lamar. It's like, 
you're throwing to these wide open receivers. Why should we give you? Why should we consider this any better than? Because you created those wide open receivers. That's why he created them. So, I'm I'm I wonder if they if because of who Lamar is, not dissimilar to tackles, if they might find a guy who fits their needs uh, in terms of a guy who can block in level two and three with quickness and has some modest uh, ability to block in line, but that's certainly not a central thing. And is otherwise just ability to turn and find the football. He doesn't have to be a great separation tight end. He just has to be able to turn and find the football uh, in play action. Find that seam, sit down in it, catch the football reliably. Couple yards after the catch, maybe. But but you and, know, it's just. Oh yeah, and that's been Charles Clay his entire career. <laughs> I mean, I've been following this guy since he was from his days in Miami when he was kind of blossoming as an ascending young talent. I mean, he's just been he's been, just been that kind of guy that can really make some make make some get some sort of similar separation at the second level. Just turn his head around, especially off play action like those early days of Ryan Tannehill and the Bill Lazor offense when he was like the primary pass catching tight end for him, and he was really making some big splash plays with his athletic ability. I mean, like so he's a little longer the tooth now, but he's like, that you don't lose that kind of knowledge, that 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 kind of natural feel for the passing game to where you know, okay, off of play action, I know where my where my quarterback I know where my quarterback's gonna be looking on this play and where I need to be and, and you know where I am in space in relation to the man who's guarding me. So you don't really get that with a lot of first year or even fourth year players, but a guy like Charles Clay who's been around the block a few times, he definitely has that feel for the passing game. Very interesting choice. You're underlining the differences there that the Ravens really need to consider, whether or not a four-year declining value option on a young player is worth more than a year of Charles Clay when you have a chance to win now. But it's, a, it's obviously a different, difficult franchise-building decision the Ravens will have to make. And something, you know, I've come to really trust DaCosta. I think he's just been, been absolutely fabulous at making these good decisions as time has moved on. Yeah, I really, really admire his vision. He's he's a real visionary with that, keeping an eye towards the future while at the same time, you know, keeping the task at hand. You know, he's like he's he's all in on winning for here and now, but he's also not willing to put the team in jeopardy in future years with bad contracts. Yeah, bad contracts or or giving up tons of draft capital. I mean, to hear people on Twitter. They would trade every draft pick that the, the Ravens had like they were bubblegum candy. I mean, it's just, you know, it's these are not party favors. These things, these are these are the future of your franchise. I mean, you're and uh, very fortunately, you know, someone like DaCosta finds an undervalued property like Marcus Peters trades for him for literally four to six percent of the value that was given for Jalen Ramsey and lo and behold, ends up with the better player. At least um, yeah. for the period involved. Yeah, I actually wrote a wrote a piece um before I wor- was working for a Maryland sports blog. I wrote I was working for this uh writing for this website uh My Sports Vote, and I talked about the you know who's the best midseason acquisition, and Marcus Peters like, got the most got the most votes just because you know like you know the Rams gave all that for for Ramsey, and Peters ended up having the more colossal effect on his on his team's you know like you know uh, ability to win. It's, he he came, yeah, I mean, from the first game you know first game that 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 pick six he had in Russell Wilson it was just like you know he. Had a more profound effect on the Ravens secondary than Ramsey had on the Rams. It was certainly a thing of beauty, that play. It was great to see him get one against the Rams. You know, the only thing I can do without Peters is a little bit of the theatrics on the field. And, you know, I, I look, clearly he won the exchange between Ramsey and him. The, the scoreboard was 45 to six. You know, he had a pick and Ramsey had gotten beat a couple times. I It was, it was, he didn't, he didn't need to have his tongue out the entire game to talk about it afterwards. Anyway, great player. I, 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 I certainly am very happy to have him for another three years in Baltimore. I hope we don't see a lot of that, though. Yeah, no, uh, no, I, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. All right. I, I, Josh, I, I can't say how much we enjoy having you on every time you're here, but let's cut it off there. This is We looked at two positions of free agency that I think was really worthwhile and probably the Ravens' two big needs. Uh Sure, they could go after a backup slot corner or another outside linebacker, but those are positions I think they'll address in season more likely than not. Uh, so let's uh, let's cut it there. Tell people where they can find your work. Um, like 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 always, you can always find me on MarylandSportsBlog.com. Um, under the under the Ravens section, I cover all things Ravens for um for the Maryland Sports Blog. We cover all things in the Maryland DC area, both pro and amateur sports. 
All right. Appreciate you joining us, Josh. If you'd like to do a film study short with me, uh, contact me on Twitter. Uh, by direct message is the easiest. I have that open to everyone uh, at Film Study Ravens or contact me by email, filmstudy21 at verizon.net. And uh, give me two or three bullets, I like a focus topic we can drill down on. Uh, we always get that delivered from Josh here, who's had a couple good ones here just recently. I'd love to hear from you out there if you'd like to do more. Josh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.